This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who doesn't know the meaning of the word fear. Maybe I should have paid more attention in school, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is a very old friend of mine, Gene Case, who I've known I mean, forever, right? Since forever. Since forever. Wasn't sure what you meant when you said very old friend. <laughs> well, two of us are now very old. We were young when we met. She was a marketing communications executive in the early days of AOL, but today she's the CEO of the nonprofit Case Foundation. She's also the author of a new book, Be Fearless, Five Principles for a Life of Breakthroughs and Purpose. Jean, welcome to Recode Decon. I'm so Thanks, thrilled to have Kara. you here. Instead Thanks. of your irritating husband, Steve Case. No, I'm kidding. No, he came here on his last book. He, he did. Here. Yeah, the third um, wave. Yes, the third wave, which... It's very prescient, as it turns out, for what's going That's on right. now with regulation. We'll talk about some of yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about the book, but I want to talk about your background, because I think you have a really fascinating journey through tech into what you've been doing today, and it all sort of knits together really well. But I'd love for people to get a sense of how you moved from what you were doing, which is a very traditional job, to the Internet, which you were one of the very early people. You are one of the yes. very early women. I mean, yes. there weren't that many. Still aren't enough, or at all. Not enough at all. Um, so just give people your background, because I think it's a really interesting because you you it goes into the idea of be fearless. You shifted your career. I did. I did more than once actually. Yeah. yeah. So um well my background was I was the youngest of four kids being raised by a single mom. Mm-hmm. And I really had the opportunity in that experience to see sort of the unequal access to opportunity that people had. I was on a full scholarship at a private school, mm-hmm. and I'd come home to my And this work. was where? This was in South Florida. I was raised, actually, in a small town in Illinois called Normal, Illinois, <laughs> with the <laughs> cornfield so in my back. You appear normal. I'm trying to get back to okay, normal. All right, Let's just whatever. say that. Okay. Anyway, but then my parents divorced when mm-hmm. I was pretty young, and my mom moved us down to South Florida. And the public school system there was not like it was in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she got me enrolled in this private school where I received a full scholarship. And I thought I was going to be a lawyer. So the school arranged for me to intern with the local mayor Mm -hmm. who later became a congressman. Mm -hmm. And then when he became a congressman, I went to work for him. I went to college at night. Mm -hmm. That led to an opportunity to bring me to D.C. So Mm -hmm. here I am thinking I'm going to be a lawyer in the public sector. So did you go to law school? Did you apply to law school? Wait, wait for it. All right, right. so I come to D.C. on this. I I haven't graduated from college yet, Mm -hmm. and I get this appointment in the Reagan administration, which was unbelievable that Mm -hmm. a young person could have that opportunity. Well, I fully intended to go back and finish my degree, but I never even went back and finished my undergraduate degree. you're a college dropout. I'm a total college. You and Mark Zuckerberg. Total college (laughs) dropout. You've gotten an honorary degree, I'm guessing you. 
<laughs> yes. She had one or two, right? Yes. Okay. Um, but what's funny about that is, you know, it's the story of a lot of what are called dropouts. Nobody necessarily intended not to graduate. Mm-hmm. My career took off, and I always thought I'd go back and finish, but I didn't. All right, so here's what happened. I had this great job working in the Reagan administration, and for me, it was like a dream come true given my background, right? Mm-hmm. But one day they walk in and they say, uh, the funding for your role, it, we're going to have a gap of mm-hmm. a month or two. You've got to go chill. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Go chill. I've mm-hmm. got like a car payment and a rent payment. No way. Right. So I what found this job. This was doing. It was at the Office of Personnel Management and Public Affairs, mm-hmm. and it was during the Reagan administration. So at that time, a lot of federal uh, the the federal government was shrinking, and so mm-hmm. it was kind of a a big part of where the action was. Okay. So I hop over to this temporary job. Mm-hmm. For the world's nation's first pure play online service. It was called The Source. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't remember it. Mm-hmm. And boy, once I, I was there, I realized, wow, talk about an opportunity to empower and sort of make equal yeah, opportunity. I want you to take that apart. Why did you think that? Because I thought that, you thought that, not a lot of people said. The yeah. Source was a social network, essentially. It, it was really an early, clunky, all-text online service that was delivered at 300 baht. I write about mm-hmm. this in the book. Mm-hmm. The book is not a biography, as right. you know, but I put vignettes. Right in there. And what's kind of funny about that is, you know, at 300 baht, it would take 40 hours to download one song. So we mm-hmm. are talking super, yeah, super early. Slow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, GE uh, decided that they wanted to start an online service. So they recruited me to do that. And I was at GE for about three years. And How did I, they find you? What was the, well, it and was why did they decide to do this? pretty tiny little industry then, mm-hmm. Right. There yeah. were maybe a yeah. hundred of us, mm-hmm. you know, all around the United States working on this stuff. Um, so they called and they were down the road. Uh, and all of these are outside where we are today, Washington, D.C. and the Burbs. And so, because there's a hub here. Because the network and the presence of the military and mm-hmm. ARPANET and mm-hmm. all of that. that and was, May you know, East is here. Ex- yeah. May, remember? Yeah, I do. I do. So it turns out that a lot of early technology spun out of this area. Um, But anyway, so I was at GE, and I figured, oh, man, talk about a brand and budgets. This is really going to drive to mainstream at GE. Well, it turns out the company was pretty risk-averse. They Mm -hmm. had a really good gig going. They were the most valuable company in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think they really weren't interested in taking a lot of risks. So right about the time this is coming to be clear to me, I get another call. And this is from the company that was going to become AOL. So I ended up going to AOL. My friends thought I was insane, truly nuts. Like, they were shrill. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Because I had a good gig at GE. I was on the management track. I'd done the management training that was world-renowned. What were you doing at GE? I was marketing manager for basically creating this new online service. Mm-hmm. And so I moved over to AOL as an officer of the company, part of the mm-hmm. executive staff. And never looked back here. I mean, as you know, at its peak, it carried more than 50% of the nation's internet traffic. Yes, it did. I like to say, you know, we got to our first million customers in 1995, and by 1996, we had 5 million. So it was one of these, like, 10-year uphill climb, but then once it took off, it really took off. Right. Now, you, what did you, I asked you this the other night when I did that short interview with you, but what was the thing that convinced you to move? Because GE is a big name, you're a college dropout, so you didn't have the degree to yeah, to right. Go right. back on. Well, I'll tell you, I really did care about empowering people. I cared mm-hmm. about that from Why? a very young age, because I knew that my life, the opportunities in my life, were made available by you know people who reached back and helped me. And when I'd come home to my working class neighborhood, I'd see people who were just as smart and just as talented and passionate about things, mm-hmm. but what they often lacked was 
an opportunity or a door opening for mm-hmm. them. So I knew if I had had that benefit, I wanted to spend my time trying to give that benefit to others. Right. But you asked a question about what did I see because, mm-hmm. you know, you and I both saw the same potential in this right. business. You know, my mom is a single mom, had spent mm-hmm. two years making monthly payments to buy me a mm-hmm. hard copy volume of encyclopedias. Right. When I first went to the source, which was the first online service, there was an electronic encyclopedia included in the membership. Right. And so it's like, wow, the vast volumes of knowledge of the world, we mm-hmm. could equalize access to that. Mm-hmm. That is powerful. And really, I would say both at the source and the G, but really where it came to life was at AOL. We were on a mission to democratize access to ideas, mm-hmm. information, and communication, and that's just what we did. Right. And so you get there, and your job was to sell it, right, to get people to use yes, it. Yes, I was chief of marketing. Mm-hmm. Right. And you guys did some novel methods. One of the things I remember you told me a story about it was there were two other services that happened at the time, CompuServe. Yes, and um, Prodigy. Prodigy. Mm-hmm. And Prodigy was Sears and IBM. IBM and I used CBS, to, believe and it CBS or not. Yeah. Was in it. I used to say that Prodigy was everything Sears knew about technology, everything IBM knew about retail. <laughs> it was like terrible. <laughs> and, and CompuServe, which was another big— That's right. And they yeah. were started about the same time as the first online service that I worked mm-hmm. for. The difference was they were what we used to call a time-sharing business. Mm-hmm. They had been selling access to their computers to businesses, and they were just looking for something to use, mm-hmm. make the computers hum at night and get some revenue off of the off hours. So people using them, right? Yeah, people exactly. Using them. exactly. And, and it wasn't thought of as—the service itself wasn't thought of as that. But one of the things— you did is you bought ads on them, right? Is we did on Prodigy. on Prodigy. So here's the deal. Right. So AOL is a startup. We had 10 million invested in us mm-hmm. early. Mm-hmm. And it had been through iterations before. Lots to, of iterations. It had been AOL. two previous, yeah, yeah. yeah. It had been uh, both in terms of the kind of products, but also a company had sort of spun out right. of a old It was around company. Atari. It was around exactly, all kinds exactly. of things. Commodore yeah. computers. Commodore computers. Most listeners won't even know you what didn't we're get talking there about. It was America Online, right? <laughs> no, right. it wasn't America oh, Online was when it? I got there. We didn't have the service yet. That's what I came to help do. Was it Quantum? It was called Quantum Computer Services. That's right, that's right. And we were then building a service that we thought was going to keep us in business with Apple called Apple Link. Right, that's right. And with IBM called PC Link. Right. And it's a great failure story. So mm-hmm. before I jump into the failure yeah. story, though, okay. let me tell you. So, you know, we're talking because of the book. Right. And the real reason I wrote the book is through every one of these experiences in life, I could see that people everywhere had ideas. Mm-hmm. But they often, about how to make the world better, about mm-hmm. you know, new companies, products, whatever, movements they mm-hmm. wanted to build. But they get stuck in this idea that it, it can't be me. Mm-hmm. I don't have what it takes. Right. They buy into an idea that it's like a special human quality of genius or connections or whatever. And most people are average. Right. So the Case Foundation that I run, Mm -hmm. uh, we did some research six years ago to look at what is behind sort of successful change makers, innovators, entrepreneurs. And we found five simple principles Mm -hmm. that were present wherever transformational change takes place. Mm -hmm. And that's really the premise of the book is Mm -hmm. to bring forward these principles. Mm -hmm. But how I do it is storytelling. Right. Right. And mostly story of other people who found success. Many right. people will have heard of, but most people will not have ever before heard their right. story. Right, but I want to finish with yours. So you bought ads. So what We bought ads. So here, yeah, so here's what I was... So our competitor, Prodigy, had invested a billion dollars at the time we had invested 10 million. Mm-hmm. So That's we approached delta. them, and I talk about this in my book, and I say you can actually leverage competition for your own growth sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Many so, people have done that. Right. So I went to them and said, can we buy ads on your online service? Yeah, Google, Yahoo. And they said, 
Yes. <laughs> I remember and I remember the day I came the... back from New York and said, you guys aren't going to believe this. We've got a huge deal with Prodigy. Well, that almost immediately became our leading source mm-hmm. of new subscribers. Right. And so, you know, to me, it's just a reminder that don't ever underestimate who can help you grow. And I do talk right. about building unlikely partnerships. If you remember, Kara, mm-hmm. we did this with Microsoft. Right, you did. Where Microsoft was threatening us as Windows. I don't That's mean they were. a kind way of yeah. putting it. Uh, well, yeah. I'm saying the, what was now, happening in the market was I remember was a you being quite upset by it. Right. So they had, you know, kind of owned the market of operating services, mm-hmm. and they were building their own online service. And mm-hmm. if they had shut us out of access from that operating, it could have shut down our company. It could mm-hmm. have been existential. Yes. So we went to them, and we worked out a deal where we carried their, um, you know, new browser, which mm-hmm. was Explorer. That's right. In trade for being part of, you know, the hard drives wherever the they're operating. great Netscape betrayal. Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, but it was existential for our company. And then with Google, of course, we saw they had a better search engine than we mm-hmm. did. So we went to them and said, can we partner? And we invested uh, got 5% of the company, and they mm-hmm. became our search engine. Right, so, right. you know, they're great examples. And again, I talk about this a lot, the importance of building building unlikely partnerships in the book. Mm-hmm, right. So one of the things that was interesting then was, besides the Netscape part, is that you guys kept shifting and, and shifting your iterating businesses. And, iterating and pivoting. And iterating. Yes, and pivoting. Each, I know those are overused words, mm-hmm. but they're really you important. You really did, yeah. You know, they really are important words because, you know, where I was going on the Apple Inc. story is, you know, we really built the whole business on this business for Apple. Mm-hmm. One day they call mm-hmm. and say, we've decided no one else can carry our brand. We're basically divorcing you. Right. And we thought the world was right. ending. Right. I mean, because right. we had no other means to, to take the business forward. So we got together. I'll never forget, you know, in conference room that afternoon, and it was very dark. <laughs> it was not a good moment in the, in the history of the company. But looking back, it was the best thing that ever happened to right. us because we decided we'd go it alone. And we went back to Apple and asked for sort of a divorce settlement. And they gave us a few million dollars, which mm-hmm. today would be like nothing. But back then could keep our company alive long mm-hmm. enough that we built America Online. Right, and that's right, how exactly. AOL was so born. To, and again, I remember when we looked, when you all were terrified of Microsoft, and I, yeah. I, I hadn't seen it yet, and then I got a copy of it and showed it to you, and we all thought it was a fake. You don't remember that. I, I, do, I, t- I, I brought do. it to you, and you hadn't, and I, we I were do. like, this can't be it. This is terrible. Correct. We, I, I think we were pretty happy. But I will say, you know, the other thing we should talk about is, iteration is such an important thing. Anyone in tech knows this. But, like, we have... Fun at one level, sad at another, watching folks like, you know, Facebook, because Mark basically hacked AOL. That's kind of how he learned to do what he did, right? And, you know, the Twitter guys will tell you they just took AOL member pages Mm -hmm. and made it better Mm -hmm. or instant messaging. Um, So we could go right across some of the new technologies. And what they did, and again, it's something I write extensively about. Mm -hmm. Thomas Edison was brilliant at this, too. They looked at what others didn't get right, Mm -hmm. right, where they might have, like, made some fits and starts, but it wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. And they just picked up and made it better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Thomas Edison said, I should correctly be called a great sponge because there were 18 patents before Edison for the Mm -hmm. better part of a century. What he did was went to school on that and said, okay, if I pick it up from here— I think I can, like, take it to the finish right, line. Right, And obviously that's what he did. Right. So I want to finish up with your background. So you worked at AOL, and then you left. I did. You, I, but you were integral, you and Jan Brandt and uh-huh. Ted and yes. the whole bunch of I you. I left in 1997. Yeah, we mm-hmm. had a fabulous team at AOL, mm-hmm. and uh, we created uh, the Case Foundation. Right, and which you've been doing, and it does what since then? So we invest in people and ideas that can change the world. Steve mm-hmm. and I founded it together. Mm-hmm. And it really has been a living laboratory mm-hmm. where we're really trying to find 
the best people and ideas out there that can, you know, really make a social impact in a really big way. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun. It's a little unusual in that a lot of foundations will be more cause-oriented, right, like, like we're about cancer or we're about education. or mm -hmm. We're not. We're agnostic on the cause. We just ask, where can we uniquely make a really big difference? Mm -hmm. And we pivot our areas of focus and investment every few years. It, to whatever. Yeah, whatever. so right now, for instance, we're deeply engaged in this new realm of impact investing. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how— Explain you, that what, what yeah, that is. Yeah, sure. Well, there's a new generation of entrepreneurs and a new generation of investors. Some some of the new generation of investors aren't so new generation, but a new class of investors, probably a better way to say it, who want more than just a financial return for their capital. Mm -hmm. They realize that capital invested is a powerful tool. So if you can invest to get more than just a financial return, it's mm -hmm. really a big win. Mm -hmm. And so many of these young companies are chasing after social impact as well as a financial return to shareholders. Mm -hmm. And they give equal value. Warby Parker is a great example of a really, you know, a brand that's a tech brand in the eyeglass, you know, retail industry mm -hmm. now and totally disrupted the eyeglass sector. Fast Company is named them the most innovative company in America. But, you know, when they sell a pair of glasses, something good happens somewhere else. And that's a person who otherwise couldn't afford a pair gets one. To date, they've uh, made over 4 million pairs of glasses available. Mm -hmm. But it's based off of just buying a really cool hip brand mm -hmm. in a more convenient and competitive price mm -hmm. that something good happens. It's not just giving away money. It's either. not giving away money. It's baked in the business model that when the business does well, there's some effective social right. impact. And that's how that you happens. all think of the case finish and what you're doing. We do. We do. But, I mean, it's also like the business. We saw AOL really in some ways as an impact business that with every new member we would get, we were increasing access to the internet. But, you know, I've traveled around the world, and like in places like Africa, there's really exciting young companies like MCOPA mm -hmm. who are providing solar access to small villages that will never be on the grid, or mm -hmm. certainly not anytime mm -hmm. soon. They pay for it through a mobile payments called M-Pesa, mm -hmm. and literally they pay by the day. So you can load, you know, 25 cents into M-Pesa and get as much power as 25 cents buys. So this sharing economy for the poor mm -hmm. is a really powerful idea. You know, I loved the sharing economy when it became a thing. But it really was more convenience and control yes, for, for people for, who already had plenty of you. you know my big joke. San Francisco is assisted living for millennials. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> what I'm excited by is I'm starting to see some sharing economy things mm -hmm. reach down to where it's needed most. Mm -hmm. Another example is a company called Hello Tractor in Africa for smallhold farmers who can't afford tractors, but right. they need them. Right. So they just, you know, they, they have a network now where you can order a tractor on Saturday and have it for mm -hmm. four hours and only pay for four hours. Huh. And so we're starting to see those kinds of truly innovative startups taking shape around the world in places where they're needed most. Uh -huh. And you and I have joked a lot right. about, look, I think Silicon Valley is great and it's brought us so much we should celebrate. But, you know, the elites on the coasts are never going to think about a small hold farmer and how he only no. needs a tractor a few hours a day. Right. Or maybe like my mom, a single mom who probably didn't need to buy a lawnmower. Why didn't we have one that we could just call when we needed it? <laughs> right, right. Because right. when it break, we could never afford to fix it. Right, you know, right. Those kind of things. Right, absolutely. That's a good, actually an interesting topic. So very briefly, and then we'll, in the next thing we're going to talk about the book itself, it got you to write about this book because of it's these really kind of ideas. It's really a playbook. 
playbook. It's a clearing call. As I said, I think people everywhere have ideas, and we've seen them. I have as I've Mm -hmm. traveled around the world. You know, Kara, my other role is as chairman of the National Geographic Society. Right. And even in that space, it blows me away what we're seeing coming along as new startups and technologies that enable more science and exploration. Right. Um, And a really cool new class of companies are being built You're on the nonprofit side, right? Correct? Uh, The parent company is National Geographic Society, and we (laughs) do have a subsidiary company that I also sit on the board of. Right. And that is in partnership with 21st Century Fox. And there— Well, that'll be Disney now, It'll be Disney now, yes. In fact, I'm heading out to Disney this week to meet with the the team out there. But there, what's really cool is when we did that deal, it created a $1.2 billion endowment for Mm -hmm. National Geographic, and about $100 million a year comes over the transom from our businesses. Mm -hmm. And we have— the number one social media footprint of any brand in the world. We're coming up on 100 million Instagram followers. Mm-hmm. It's crazy exciting. Right. This is a lot society, of not just the channel. Correct. Like Correct. That. Right, yeah. right. Absolutely. I, I want to ask you about Valley of the Boom later because you guys put that out. That's still under the umbrella. Yes. So the National Geographic Society is the parent, and the right. venture with Fox sits under the National Geographic right, right. Society. Right, They're created. Yeah. There was, it, was, it was a lot of people we know. I think it's trying to pretend to be people we know. Anyway, we're here with Gene Case, whose new book is called Be Fearless, Five Principles for a Life of Breakthroughs and Purpose. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline, because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. We're here with Jean Case. Her new book is called Be Fearless. Jean, you have five principles. Why don't you talk about, you decided to write this book because? Because I think people everywhere have ideas. And, and they found need a playbook the, to get started. Right. Totally. Okay. Our research validated this. So let right. me run through them quickly with you. Right. Okay. The first is make a big bet. And mm-hmm. we like to say make a big bet and make history. Mm-hmm. The idea is don't aim for incremental change. Mm-hmm. Now, you will take incremental steps getting to your big bet, but everybody that's broken through has started with a much bigger idea. Right. The second is take risks, be bold. Mm-hmm. Look, if you're trying something new, you're taking risks. There's just no way to try something new without taking risks. Right. But I try to go into detail in the book, particularly in that part, about understanding your own risk tolerance, mm-hmm. understanding the risk tolerance of people who've taken other successful things forward. Mm-hmm. And I encourage people to think about risk-taking more as R&D, as trial and error. Mm-hmm. 
which then leads into the third principle. Well, let me just get that. People aren't trained to be risk takers. They are not. In fact, our brains, if anything, are wired to really give us big caution lights against Mm -hmm. risk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's important, right? Because when we started life here on the planet whenever back when, you know, our brains were telling us to flee or to fight or, you know. We were low down on the totem pole. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we had big old things coming after us, Right. right? But today, unfortunately, a lot of that sort of, you know, guard against risk is still very much in our DNA. And I think one of the things that I recommend is, you know, really think about what is the risk of not taking the risk? Because Mm -hmm. our brains always go first to all the problems with taking the risk. We sometimes don't give enough thought to, if I don't take the risk, what happens then? And for some people, that answer will be a reason to take the risk, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos, I put this in Be Fearless in the book, you know, Jeff Bezos said when he was thinking about quitting his Wall Street job and— At D.E. Shaw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and starting Amazon, he said, the one thing I knew was that when I was 80, you know, I wasn't going to be thinking about my quarterly bonus, but I would think if I had passed up on the greatest opportunity and revolution in my lifetime and not been part of it, I could never forgive myself. Mm-hmm. And that gave him sort of the extra boldness to start Amazon. Right. Okay. So Principle. that's take risk, be bold. The next is make failure matter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're out there taking risks, it is trial and error. It is R&D. Mm-hmm. The error part is often forgot. Mm-hmm. But, you know— most success stories have a failure story along the way. Right. And I have a chapter in there called Fail in the Footsteps of Giants. Mm -hmm. And I talk about how Oprah was told, fired from a news program and told she just wasn't right for TV. Steven Spielberg, not accepted to film school. Right. Michael Jordan, cut from his high school basketball team, went home and cried in his closet. So story after story in that chapter are better known stories, but we've sometimes sanitized the failures along the way. They're so important to share with people because mm-hmm. the bottom line is you just can't do innovative new things unless you're willing to take risks. And I don't know anyone who bats a thousand on risk-taking. Right, just right. Don't. Well, that's, a, you know, something like being told you can't. I, I was told I couldn't write by a teacher, an English teacher. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I said she was an idiot. I still <laughs> I had I hope me. you send her stuff no, routinely she did. now. she did now. I had yeah. the opposite in, from my teachers, which I'm mm-hmm. grateful for, and I write about some of them in the book because mm-hmm. they're lifelong friends to this day. So yeah. I can really I make it difference. I teachers, too, but this, I, I'll never that, forget yeah, this Yeah, right. That's, that's not cool. Yeah. Okay, so that's Make Failure Matter. And I just want to say before we leave that, that, you know, Einstein said failure is success in progress. Mm -hmm. But that's not really how we think about it. And if we could actually, you know, encourage young people or others we know to think about it that way. And when I stand, I teach a lot of MBA classes. And whenever I'm in front of students, I try to read my failure resume to point out that it was actually all the low points that ultimately made me better, stronger, or teed up new opportunities down the road. It's how you perfect ideas. Although Silicon Valley does take it to a ridiculous extreme. It does. We shouldn't celebrate failure by any means. But I'm like, "Mm, maybe you just lost money there. No, I totally agree. And there is a difference between sort of just screwing up and failure that's meant to teach. But Mm -hmm. make failure matter is understand the lessons of failure and apply them going Mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. So the next is reach beyond your bubble. And that's that sort of build unlikely partnerships that we had talked about. But what we didn't spend enough time talking about is that the real idea is spend time with people who think differently than you do, have different backgrounds, broaden your perspective, and they can broaden yours. They can cover your blind spots. They can see things you can't. Mm -hmm. 
we need a lot more of that today. Well, talking, boy, why doesn't that happen? Boy, do we need it in tech, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about why, this extensively. Why doesn't it happen? What, what is the— You know, I think it's human nature that we all have biases, and those biases— well, That's an excuse. Come on. No, I don't think it is, Kara. I think it's very real. I think we all have blind spots, and we all have biases, and I don't believe they're intentional. But what I do think is when you know you have them, which today, if you don't know you have them, you're not listening, mm-hmm. you've got to be intentional in doing something to make sure you're changing that mm-hmm. to be— the best that you can be. So, you know, I think the data is overwhelming. I put it in Be Fearless. It's throughout the book that diverse teams outperform non-diverse teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, McKinsey, Deloitte, I mean— They're all the studies. That's why I'm fascinated why you can't even appeal to people's greed in Silicon Valley. They'll be richer. And I find it—you know, there was just a story today—I forget what what thing—someone tweeted it was— uh, men have become, at Davos, this group was like, we're really sensitive now to Me Too, so we don't really want to help women again. And I'm like, oh. Uh, yeah, I heard that too. That's insanely yeah, that's sensitive people. But, you know, it's important to recognize that Silicon Valley is not the center of the earth. No, I got that. That a lot of great things can happen. And, you know, the Fortune 500 companies, majority of them were born, started between the coasts, not mm-hmm. on the coast. But I just got the data this morning that the new data says 79% of capital, venture capital last year, mm-hmm. went to California, New York, and Massachusetts. Right. We know Steve that, in, yeah, but, but let's talk about it further. Mm-hmm. So like with women, you know, just a little over 2% of mm-hmm. all the venture capital went to firms with mm-hmm. a female founder. And yet what I see is I see remarkable female founders. You know, I been mentoring one for a long time, actually, Hoya, like Mm -hmm. you, Kara. She has a startup in New York called Real World Playbook, and she says it's the Warby Parker for adulthood. Mm -hmm. She realized as a privileged person, she went to Princeton, she got a JD MBA from Georgetown, and when she got out of school, she didn't really know what to do about her taxes. Mm -hmm. She didn't know how to pick a health care plan. Like some of the really no one had ever really taught her that. So she's got this really great platform that now universities all over the United States are embracing and putting their kids through to teach them how to go into adulthood. I mean, Mm -hmm. who would think we'd have to disrupt that industry? (laughs) But it's greatly needed. But she's a young female entrepreneur that's just killing it out there. You just interviewed Susan Tynan Mm -hmm. at Framebridge. That was a great interview. Another one. And then I just spent the weekend with my dear friend friend, Sarah Blakely, you know, who is the founder and CEO of Spanx. Mm-hmm. So another friend I just spent time with is the new head, Ellen Stofan of Smithsonian's Air and Space Museum. Mm-hmm. She was chief scientist at NASA. So as I look around, women really are killing it. The women who have before us, their stories often don't get told, and so I try to tell many of them in mm-hmm. my book. But I think, you know, we all really have to double down and get all the players on the field. You and I talked about yeah, this. Yeah, but why doesn't it happen? I get that. I get. I think most people who are intelligent think that's the case, but it doesn't occur. Yeah, well, it feels really slow, and it's been a really long time. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, there has been dramatic progress, even though we continue to feel like there's so much that we have to do, and Mm -hmm. we do. I mean, we are seeing roles filled by women today that traditionally we never did. Look at our Supreme Court. Look who's been Secretary of State. In fact, I have a friend, it's very cute, that uh, when a white man became Secretary of State, again, her kid said, Oh, I didn't, I didn't think that could happen because we'd had, you know, two females and an African-American male serve as uh, Secretary of State. So there really is progress on a lot of fronts. It's just not coming fast mm-hmm. enough. So here's what and I think. And then it shifts back. Yes. Yeah, so here's what I think, you know, can hopefully potentially drive it a little bit forward. And that is that 
these will be new innovations, as we've discussed. I mean, what mm-hmm. do entrepreneurs do at the end of the day? They solve problems, mm-hmm. and it's usually tied to a problem they've had some experience with. So at some point, if we just keep pushing those Ivy League kids out in Silicon Valley, we're going to, like, you know, it's enough already. That's not where all the new, exciting next wave of innovation will come from. It will come from different places and different people. I think that will be a draw to many people. But we're passionate about this. So we lead or help lead something called uh, the Entrepreneurs Funding Network that is very much focused on putting capital and mentorship to inclusive entrepreneurs. And, you know, I'm pretty happy with what I'm seeing there in terms of the ecosystem filling out around the United States. There's an accelerator in Atlanta called Digital Undivided. Mm -hmm. It is specifically for women of color that are entrepreneurs, and they're killing it. I funded, uh, helped uh, invest in a platform called Alice that's an online platform. And why is that important for entrepreneurs when they're going? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of women don't have daycare, don't have kids, you know, like if they're working a job and they want to do this, they're doing it at night, you know, on their computer or whatever. So we're trying to attack all the different areas that can bring forward lots of new talent and get all the players on the field that, quite frankly, have been left too much on the sidelines as we've been building companies Mm -hmm. here. But again, why is that? Because you have to identify the problem. What happens in the system as it is? Because I, I don't see a lot of changes. I mean, I see you and I see a couple more, but they're peripheral. They're still peripheral. Yeah, I see a lot of changes, but I want to be super clear mm-hmm. that by no means are we anywhere close mm-hmm. to mission accomplished. But we sort of felt this way, Kara. It's kind of like what I said about AOL's growth. Mm-hmm. It took us 10 years to get to the first million, and then, you know, a year later we had 4 million more. I do think at some point a flywheel effect will take place. I have a friend in New York um, who has worked with the uh, Canadian Prime Minister and some other women, and we've worked together to do this initiative called Just Add One. And the idea is, you know, things start to really change when you put a female on the board. Yes. That sounds crazy, but it's very true. You know, she widens the perspective. She widens the network of likely candidates. Mm -hmm. Things change when a woman goes into the Mm C-suite. Things change when a woman becomes a partner in a law firm. So, you know, I think that there are some who want to see a regulated percentage, and I can see a strong argument for that. But there's others who are saying, well, what if you just said, I'll add one this year? Could we eventually get a flywheel effect going so there are Mm -hmm. enough women helping to bring well, the only re- reason those regulatory things come in is because it just doesn't move. Yeah, I agree. It just doesn't. So let's self, just make Yes, them. exactly, because self-regulation often doesn't work. Yeah. Always with these people. I'm sorry, I just don't, I don't see, you know, look, at Microsoft would have kept, you know, their, their yeah. vicious ways until sure. they were stopped. Well, and I absolutely believe there's a mm-hmm. place for regulation. A lot of stuff you're talking about mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley as well. I mean, you know, I think we can believe in the philosophy maybe of like free market self-regulation, but at some point, you have to say enough and, and find right, a better way Because these numbers it. don't move. In yeah. So talk a little bit. So what, so that was number four. You have one more, right? Oh, yeah, thanks. Right, that's it's okay. my favorite one, no, the last no. okay. one. All right, okay. <laughs> Let urgency conquer fear. Okay. And actually, this is a pretty powerful uh, mm-hmm. principle. So there's— I a, believe in urgency, Jean. I know. I'm you, an urgent You person. act with urgency. I well, do. You talk with urgency. I do, Jean. <laughs> so get moving. 
got things <laughs> you to want me to go a little faster now? Yeah, yeah, is right that what now. you're saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so let urgency conquer fear really is this awareness that basically when your back's against the wall, maybe when you're mad as heck, maybe when, you know, you're gripped with fear or whatever, mm-hmm. the moment is calling to you. Sometimes that will get you out of your comfort zone. And what I write in the book is nothing great comes from the comfort zone. We all love being there. That's a mm-hmm. comfortable place, but that's not where great stuff comes from. Right. So sometimes urgency is that extra piece. So, you know, we're here in Washington, D.C. Our dear friend, Chef Jose Andres, a mm-hmm. great entrepreneur who has restaurants all over the world, saw that hurricane was hitting in Puerto Rico and went down there and set up a food station on an emergency mm-hmm. basis, ends up feeding 3.7 million people, mm-hmm. has just recently, as you know, in the last 35 days while the government's been shut down, feeding federal workers. He didn't, look, he doesn't have a nonprofit background. He doesn't have an organizational business. He's an entrepreneur who mm-hmm. knows how to cook, and he is a world-celebrated chef. Mm-hmm. But the urgency that he felt in the moment, you know, pushed him past his fears of giving it a try and look at the impact that he's had. He's been at wildfires, tsunamis, earthquakes. He's been all over the world now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's because he— He really—he's driven by the urgency that he feels. Mm-hmm. You know, the Washington Post called him, you know, the new face of disaster relief. Right. When disasters are about to strike, what he's realized is we don't really have a system in place often in relief that takes care of basic food security. Right. And right. so that's what he's going Which to do. Which it's supposed to. Yeah, but— FEMA I, is supposed to do that. FEMA is supposed to, but we've had a failure, as you know, in mm-hmm. many cases of disaster response when it comes to food support. So another great story on that is the story I opened the book with. The first chapter of the book is called Start Right Where You Are. Mm -hmm. You know, I really am making the point that it's ordinary people that do extraordinary things, Kara. And so the first story is a a woman here in Washington, D.C., mental health counselor, sole practitioner, who saw that there was a tremendous need for our military and their families to get mental health care support during the Afghan and Iraq wars. Mm -hmm. And so she was giving one hour a week free, and then she came up with this idea. What if I asked a whole national network of doctors to do this. Mm -hmm. She did it. Thousands and thousands of doctors joined her. It's called Give an Hour. They've given away $25 million in healthcare services. Mm -hmm. She didn't even have an assistant. She didn't have an MBA. She was like one person. She she used her answering phone to me. But look at what she built, and time called her among the 100 most influential people in the world for what she was able to do. Mm -hmm. Use that story on purpose because anyone looking at her would say— you know, she didn't really have any of those sort of special qualities that we think. She was one person feeling the urgency and making a really big bet. Mm-hmm. When you say everyone's an average person, why is there this mythology that grows up around tech leaders, for example, just or any leaders, that they are special and geniuses and everything like that? How do you resist that? Because I think part of fearfulness is I'm not smart enough. I'm not good That's enough. right. That's right. Well, you know, as any position I have of leadership, I try to make sure and let people know that it wasn't all rosy and that there's certainly no one would have looked at my early life and said I'd have the opportunities that I eventually had. I do think sometimes we we used to have a term at AOL they're drinking the bath water. Mm-hmm. And it means, you know, they're just getting caught up almost like in, in yeah, that whole, like, yeah, I'm, I'm here now. You know, right. I'm different. I'm special. Right. And they don't want to talk about maybe things that didn't go so right in their life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's a glorification of Silicon Valley today that's super unhelpful. Um, and Well, no longer, by the way. That's done. <laughs> I mean, come on. I don't know. bloom is off the road. So when I tell people that startups are at a 30-year low in the Mm -hmm. United States, they are shocked. Mm -hmm. They are shocked. Why? Because all they see are these glorious stories coming out of Silicon Valley, and they think that's happening 
all over the country. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand that in some cases, those really big companies that are those great success stories Mm -hmm. are crowding out new competition that would normally enter to unseat them in different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw this with AOL, as you and I talked about, with Facebook and Twitter and Google. And and that is how our economy is built, Mm -hmm. is new players coming in, iterating off of, you know, what they see is, or taking advantage as big companies get too confident and don't continue to put consumers front and center. And I, you know, I write about that in the book. I I just think it's a dangerous time in some ways for Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. because at one level, these companies are getting really big and feel, in many cases, removed from a need to answer to others Mm -hmm. or even to respect governments, to be honest with Mm -hmm. you. You know, but at another level, they're crowding out companies that could come along and do So why are we at a 30-year-old? And then in the next section, we're going to talk about where we're going to go with this and try to recover fearlessness. You know, I I really can't speak to that. I can tell you that the tech industry I came into in the early 1980s was geographically diverse, was diverse gender-wise, and diverse Mm -hmm. in other ways. We all needed each other, and we brought with us some humility that made space for a lot of people different than us. Mm -hmm. That's not the ethos of the tech world today, and the tech world is driving so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, every company is a tech company So what do you think the ethos is? Um, You know, I think— even the tech industry itself has gotten caught up in this idea that, you know, it has to be the right school, that it has to be the right test score, that it has to be, you know, you name it, has to look a certain way, maybe in a hoodie or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's really unhealthy for our economy. We need, we have an innovation and economic imperative to get all the players on the field with their ideas and their companies mm-hmm. and all the great things they can do for America. And we've got to give an environment, make an environment where that is accessible now, more than ever before, because start more companies are dying every day than being started in America. All right. We're going to talk about that when we get back. We're here with Jean Case. She's the author of Be Fearless, Five Principles for a Life of Breakthroughs and Purpose. She obviously was a very early AOL executive, very integral to its success. We're going to talk about wither AOL and how we get to that uh, point in our country going forward. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Last week, Kanye West accused one of the biggest Twitch streamers of being an industry plant. It's an idea that comes up so often on platforms like TikTok and elsewhere. You see people who have blown up seemingly overnight, and the question is, who's behind them, right? That's what everyone wants to know. Tipping the scales and pulling the lever to make them seemingly the next it thing on the internet. This week on Power User, is it even possible to create an industry plant on the internet? And if so, how? We're here with Jean Case. Her new book is called Be Fearless. Jean and I have been talking about a number of things, but things we just talked about was how we get—people do not realize that I have noticed that the idea, ideas are sort of not there right now. And sometimes these tech companies are, in general go through cycles, right? There's a cycle of yeah. innovation followed by a foulness, but it feels real fallow now. I Does it to you? Yeah. So maybe the difference between Can us- you name a company past— like the last ones were the Airbnb, Lyft group. Oh, sure. Well, we just talked about yeah, two yes. that have come out since right. the so, financial crisis. Right. I'm talking right? about big companies that people get that c- capture imagination. But go ahead. Well, actually, how 
you get big companies is you start with small ones. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think where I'm spending more of my time is on, elsewhere. Is on the new entrepreneurs who have right. new firms that they're bringing forward, new ideas. And there, I really don't think there's ever been a more exciting time for new innovation. Think about it, Karen. You talk about this mm-hmm. a lot with in, in your in your interviews that you do. There are still so many segments that haven't really been disrupted by technology, or in some cases, touched much. Right. Mm-hmm. Ed tech, you know, mm-hmm. fintech. I mean, we could go agriculture, food. Right. I mean, there's so much innovation to come, but it's not good news for Silicon Valley because, you know, Silicon Valley isn't worried about the unbanked of this world, like the founder of right. Tala, which is a right. very successful right. new. Or, you know, the, some of the, like, the leading plant scientists in the world, there are more plant scientists between, like, Illinois and Missouri and Kansas than mm-hmm. there are in the rest of the country. Food innovation is going to come from there, you know? Right. I mean, so I just think some of these new— Gene, they're st- doing intermittent fasting in Silicon Valley. That's their big idea. <laughs> Are although, you doing that? although I do like the Impossible Burger, I gotta I know, tell you, that's not intermittent fasting. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I, I haven't heard of the intermittent. Then do not follow Jack Dorsey on okay, Twitter. He talks about his fasting endlessly. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's where we are right now. That's where yeah, it feels but like. I mean, like you know, we're sitting here. It's a world of 3D printing, right? Mm-hmm. And I have really uncomfortable shoes on while I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was with Sarah Blakely again, founder mm-hmm. of Spanx, this weekend, and we're like, heck. Why are shoes still uncomfortable? Like, mm-hmm. why hasn't the shoe industry been more disrupted? You're I mean, right. we have lots of new shoes, but women still are— I was usually- at Union Market this weekend. There's a shoe company there, a pop-up shoe. Are there? Blanking I mean, at one level, I'm joking. At mm-hmm. another level, I'm not at all. Right. Every day I go, like, should I just go start a, a company to make mm-hmm. shoes comfortable? Like, mm-hmm. what do we have to are do? Are you still fearless entrepreneur? Like, obviously, you've yes. made a fortune. Yes. You, you have a very comfortable life. How yes. do you remain that? Because one of the things I see in Silicon Valley is— they're too friggin' rich. They're yeah. just like comfortable. They got the get on the plane. Totally. They go to the plane to totally. this to this, and it, and it's hard even to talk to them. And when you say something fairly critical, that's fair. Yeah, it's like how dare you call me? Like you're yeah. mean. I'm like really. Yeah. Like what happened to you? Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a line in Hamilton that says, "I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry." Mm-hmm. That's how we built America. Mm-hmm. Never forgetting that, you know, we were the ones trying to work our way to get to mm-hmm. the top. Mm-hmm. And you got to worry today about whether, you know, people in Silicon Valley are feeling young, scrappy, and hungry because that's mm-hmm. what builds Dang. great yeah. companies. And, yes, I still feel that. I mean, we have a Virginia winery. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to establish Virginia. The wine was delicious. Thank, Thank you. It delicious. And it's been recognized by remarkable wine critics. Rise, and Rise, it's called, yeah. Yeah. But we're trying to establish, it's a big idea, it's our big bet. Virginia is a world-renowned wine region, and Mm -hmm. we're making good progress toward it. So, yeah, I always have my hands or my feet or (laughs) whatever in um, some new enterprise, and I Mm -hmm. sit on startup boards as well. How do you get that? Because I do think when you get to a certain level of wealth and influence, you lose Yeah. Well, I think for both Steve and I, he's talked about this, so Mm -hmm. I feel like I can represent him on this one too. I think we both would say... The most rewarding years of AOL Mm -hmm. was when we were just building it. Once Mm -hmm. it became the big success, that just, for real entrepreneurs, that's sort of not what you want. You always want to be building and striving and risking and trying. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think sometimes when you say, okay, it's done now, you're not in the best possible position, you know, to do something great. It's like that comfort zone thing we were talking about. Right, right. How do you look at it now? Where is it? It's now— what are we talking about? AOL. Like, how do you, when you I'm build sad. it? I'm sad. I'm yeah. sad. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think it was, you know, the absolute right strategy to acquire Time Warner uh, for $164 billion. It's cool. still the largest merger in 
U.S. history. And we're completely saddened that the great company that we built, you know, what I say is that's a really great example of culture eats strategy (laughs) for breakfast, okay? Because what happened is those two, and I was gone from the company at this time, but those two cultures really had trouble merging. And that meant a total failed execution. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I said, what happened is some fast followers came in, like Facebook, like Twitter. Oh, it's all AOL. It's so funny. Yeah, it is all. I mean, it really is. And I don't mean that. They they tell us that. No, some of the music services, Spotify. Everything. Yeah, we had pieces of that. But we just didn't keep iterating and staying young and scrappy and hungry Mm -hmm. ourselves as a company. We got a big, fat company with teams that, you know, just couldn't merge in the way that we had dreamed they would. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, for AOL shareholders, it worked out. Yeah. Um, It was the best performing stock of the 1990s. Um, When we took the company public, I think the valuation was like $70 million. Mm -hmm. And when we acquired Time Warner, that deal was $164 billion. And that was, you know— like seven years later. That was the top, Gene. That was the top. That was the the top, top. and then it started, yes. I mean, but it should be a cautionary tale. I write about, you know, Blockbuster Mm -hmm. and Kodak. I mean, Kodak invented digital photography, Mm -hmm. invented it, but they were making so much money off of their traditional film that they were unwilling to shift Mm -hmm. over, and what happened, right? Mm -hmm. It completely took the company down. So why don't we finish talking about sort of the advice you give to people of this? You know, some people aren't fearless, for example. Some people are not comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, being certain ways. There's a lot of books out there like Cheryl, whether it's Cheryl Lean In or yeah, do yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to say be fearless. It's yeah. hard to do. But I'm really honest in the book with saying being fearless is not the absence of fear. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to look it in the eye, mm-hmm. stare it down, and push past it. A lot of people still can't do well, that. Well, I go out of my way to explain not just me, but mm-hmm. so many people I write about in the book had their moments of fear and failure and still do in their journey. Mm-hmm. But it is digging deep. And, you know, I truly— Try to provide tips and techniques for how to push back mm-hmm. that what can sometimes be paralyzing fear. Now, the good news for all of us is, you know, I do think today a lot of people are gripped with fear. It's a divided nation. It's a divided yeah. world in many sense. But it's often in those dark, like what we were saying early about urgency conquering fear, it's in those dark moments of frustration or fear that sometimes it can be just enough to push you out of your comfort zone and say, darn it, I'm going to do it now. Mm -hmm. And so some of the best things have come from some of the darkest hours. And I'm hoping that's the case now. But, you know, I really feel if more people understood that fear fear and failure are common and in some cases necessary as part of the journey, but they can make you stronger in the end. Mm -hmm. but, But even though the book is titled Be Fearless, by no means do I claim to be fearless. I'm just good at pushing past fear. Mm-hmm. And give a tip for that. How do people do that? If you're so, you know, I tell a very personal story, mm-hmm. which was, and again, it's not a biography. I only have small vignettes mm-hmm. to try to bring my own voice into the stories I tell. But I did this outward bound-like experience, and I had mm-hmm. to climb a telephone pole 30 feet in the air. I'm belayed, right? Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. I fall, I'm, I'm going to yeah. be caught. To climb it 30 feet in the air and walk across another telephone pole laid on its side, mm. then come back and come down. I froze at the top. I didn't Mm -hmm. think I could do it. And I looked down, and I was part of a team of five. And I was kind of teary. I was so mortified. Mm -hmm. And I said to the guide, I don't think I can do this. I I want to. I I, I don't think I can do this. And I really was like my throat was cracking, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. She looked at me. She said, okay, Jean, but you could try. 
And I know that people. I'm telling you, I, did I know that it, it like seems at one level such a simple thing, mm-hmm. but then it really made me think, okay, if I do try and I fall, so what? What mm-hmm. I don't want to be is that person that climbed the pole mm-hmm. and then fearfully climbed down without getting I it see. done. Mm-hmm. I was successful in getting across. And when I came back, she said, when we all came down and you know how they do these like almost I don't yeah. know, kumbaya things in a right. circle. And she said, so uh, is there a chance, Jean, that you've mostly been doing stuff you knew you'd be good at, yeah. that you were comfortable with? Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh. In recent years, I had. Things had gotten pretty comfortable. So I made a list of a number of things that I thought I could never do. Mm-hmm. And I really want to pause on this because for anyone who's struggling with this, this was powerful for me. And I took them on. And I learned. What did you do? I wanted to become a black belt in Taekwondo, and I'd never taken what? a day Why? of martial arts. Are you a black belt in Taekwondo? I'm a black belt in Taekwondo now. Oh, good and By heavens. the way, I got my black belt when know. I was like in my mid-40s, right? right. Okay. If you had told me I would someday do flying kicks, or I, I would have said that's never going like to be me. crouching dragon or Yeah. Flying? But I would have Jesus. looked at myself and said exactly what people say to themselves every day. That can't be me. But it turns out with small steps— yeah. Do one thing every week. If you can, do one thing every day to get yourself a little closer. Work it like a muscle, and eventually you'll find you have small successes, which can lead to bigger successes, which can eventually make you a little more fearless. Have you become an assassin or something also? Is that one of your fears? <laughs> no, but Steve seems to be a lot nicer to me ever since I became yeah. <laughs> a black belt. Oh, my God. I had no idea. That's one crazy fact. I didn't know that. But that's only face. one thing. You know, I mean, it's everything from, you know, I said I want to read 52 books in a year. But if I hadn't been intentional about it and tried, and I did. But, I mean, so hard things, small things. But what I was doing was— What didn't you do that you wanted to do? Oh, I failed. I failed at a number of things. Snake charming? Why? Yeah, never with snakes. I know I'm chairman of National Geographic, but I'm still working (laughs) on the love of snakes. I would like to be a snake charmer. (laughs) That's what I would do. You know, it's interesting. You did it. You could try that kind of thing. You know, you didn't want to be the person. I have I, I, I have a book in me, but you're going to not like it because it's a curse. It's You know, it's, oh, when, it's, when so, if I was on the top of that and I didn't want to do it and someone's like, give it a try, I'd be like, fuck you. And I'd walk across. See, that's I why knew I would we it. wouldn't get through the podcast <laughs> without but that's the what I, My book should be called that. My book is fuck that. That's my book name. Well, there is a bestseller, unfortunately, That's with that word. Unfortunately, but yeah. oh, Jean. You, you know I don't like that Jean, stuff, you're such a proper <sighs> girl in that yeah, regard. Yeah. So The so children are listening. The ch- oh, no, they're not. They're not. They're not. There's no children listening. And if they are, they, they're smart children. They're smart, and they're here to learn about life as, okay, as it really is. that word's going to teach them a lot. Yeah, exactly. So lastly, what when you think about that idea of, of doing things for us, are you a positive about our country in that way? Because I'm not right now because I feel like we have lost— like, you see China, all this innovation going mm-hmm. on. You see mm-hmm. France, India, everything else. And this country's in such a, a tailspin of, of imagination and also uh, polarization and everything else. It feels like the Russians did a great job um, with us. And it, using our own faults and fears. Uh, so I think two things can be true. I'm saddened and hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say, we got this, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I do believe I'm so inspired by the ideas people have everywhere. And what they lack is a way to get in there and take those ideas forward. That's why I wrote the book, Kara. If I wasn't 
hopeful I probably wouldn't have written the book. Mm -hmm. And again, this is not my advice. This is what, you know, a study of history and contemporary times teaches us about what it takes to break through Mm -hmm. and find more purpose to make a better world. And do you feel like the people who have all the money and power have the commitment to it? You see all these very exciting politicians and others talking about taxing more taxes, getting more uh, involved, but because they don't seem to do it themselves. They just don't. It doesn't seem to be trickling down. I just don't really— necessarily believe that all the best ideas come from government. I don't believe they do either, but I just don't see... Well, you know, we did something. I'll give you an example. It's a story in the book. We did something with the um, Obama White House around contests and grand challenges Mm -hmm. and basically trying to tap the wisdom of citizens across the nation for really big challenges. So the Ebola suit was one of them, believe it or not, because there were 22 places where the Ebola suit could be compromised and infect the the Mm -hmm. care workers. So these uh, competitions were set up around the nation. And at Johns Hopkins here in Baltimore, a wedding dress designer signed up for one of the teams. Now, she's sitting there, right, with like, you know, rocket scientists and like, Mm -hmm. you know, mega doctors and all of this. Mm -hmm. And she's a wedding dress designer. Well, that was the winning, that was the winning design. Why? Because she had lived the issue of how to get someone in and out of a suit. She knew how to listen and say, well, what works for you and what doesn't as you do this? And then find ways forward in a very practical manner. Mm -hmm. To me, that's such a powerful story because it's another example of start right where you are. She was a wedding dress designer, and she helped design the new Ebola suit. She was fearless enough to put herself in that situation of sitting at the table and speak up about her ideas and look at what she was able to do. So lastly, one of the things you said the other night when we were talking was that it's not a question of talent, it's a question of opportunity. And I, right. I, that really does strike me because I do think there are, especially women, uh, people of color, stuck in places that who could have solutions to all kinds of problems we have. Like really That's brilliant right. people. They never can get out of wherever yeah. they are in the world. Although I know that like a lot of times we talk about the downside of tech, but I actually believe what I believed the first day I went into the tech industry, that it is an incredibly empowering tool. And I just have this rare opportunity, given the work I've done between National Geographic, the Case Foundation, and technology, to have traveled all over the world to the furthest reaches, Mm -hmm. okay, in small villages. People everywhere have brilliant ideas. We just need to empower them and give them tools and a way to think about taking those ideas forward. And we say talent is universal. Opportunity is not. We've just got to make more opportunity. All right. So in that vein, if you change one thing right now, what would it be? Um, Who gets the opportunity? No question. How? I think it's, well, that's what I'm doing every day, Kara. I mean, I'm so passionate about it. Like, if you look at what we're doing at the Case Foundation between what we call our inclusive entrepreneurship work, where we're really trying to build the ecosystem, encourage people to mentor and give capital Mm -hmm. to, impact investing, build companies that will change the world, really have major societal impact. And not just say they do. And not just say they do, but, I mean, you can measure it, you know. I think just even those two things alone could be remarkably powerful, certainly in the near term, but maybe for all time. And with the kind of stuff that's been going on this year in tech where the negative, you know, they've done some things. Yeah, they have. How do they recover from that? You're a marketing person. Yeah. Well, as you and I have talked, I think they're trying to grab a tiger by the tail. I mean, this thing has grown really, really big, and they didn't do the right work of defining the ethos. They built it wrong. And the ethics, and then turning that into action. Um, So I think, you know, companies like Facebook, 
have been saying a lot of the right things. I think most recently they're trying to talk a little more about the actions they're taking. But it's probably going to be a combination of things, including, by the way, regulation. You know, I think privacy and democracy and freedom and, you know, even impacts on children of different things that we do. We have to look at this honestly and make sure a lot of us got into this business because we believed it would benefit humanity. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as Steve wrote in the third wave, you know, in that second wave, which was kind of what we're seeing right now out in Silicon Valley, it was really more about drive the value and, you know, growth, 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 and not consumer empowerment focused. And we've got to get back to that. Well, that's a very good uh, thing to end on. Jean Case, thank you so much. Her book is called Be Fearless, uh, and it's available now. Is that correct? It is. It came out January 8th, and it's a national bestseller. National bestseller. That's great. It's Five Principles for Life of Breakthroughs and Purpose. She knows what my new book is going to be called, but we'll see how that works. <laughs> I'll wait for it. Kara. Wait thanks for it. so You're much for today. Ready. Thank you so it's much so for having me on. It's so fun to be with you. Um, and thanks for you all for listening. You can find more podcasts of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. Jean, where can people find you online and also stuff you're working on? So on Twitter, I'm Jean Case. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's best Case like, Foundation. Case too. Foundation, and At then we Case. have a we have a, a Be Fearless page on okay. Facebook. If you want to check more out, where we have some videos of our stories too. Cool. All right, great. Now that you've done with this, go check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks to our editor Joel Robbie and our producer Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.